Hey everybody, I'm your host Tim Yuma and you've checked into Management Decisions here on localjobnetwork.com radio, a place to discuss the most important aspects of management and executive level issues. Now today we're talking about ways to improve retention, a problem many employers are struggling with at the moment. To discuss better hiring practices and other processes to aid with this, we have Mel Kleiman on the phone. Mel is the president of Humetrics, a company he founded back in 1976, where they focused on reinventing the areas of recruiting, hiring, and retention. So perfect for our show today. Mel, thanks for coming on LGN Radio. Oh, Tim, thanks for having me and looking forward to sharing some ideas with your um, audience. Yeah, I think it's uh, clearly an area of interest for our listeners and especially employers out there. And uh, really, to get started, if you could briefly describe your professional experience, especially as we can relate it to this topic. Well, as it relates to this topic, uh, oh gosh, a little over 30 years ago, interesting enough, got involved in the world of uh, psychological testing, was working for another organization, and took a challenge to help reduce turnover in the sales force at that point in time, because they had about 100 salespeople. They were spending about $25,000 training each one of them, and they had 100% turnover. Hmm. Um, which if you figure it out, doesn't that's a big number. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work for you. Yeah, so we began to look at ways of doing that and became, became totally enamored with the entire hiring process and looking at not only where do you uh, find people, but how do you identify who will be best for your organization. And then finally, uh, once you hire the best, it's no, no good if you can't keep them. Right. So how do you re- actually retain the best? And what are, what are the things that make people stay with organizations and what are the things that make people leave organizations? So. That's a little bit very quick background. Sure. And we are going to get into some details as we move forward here. For yourself, how would you explain in general why hiring practices themselves are so important when it comes to that broad scope of better retention? Well, the number one key is most of us end up hiring what I identify as the best applicant, not the best employee. Uh, There's a quote and absolutely probably my favorite quote that I normally talk about in every single presentation that I do. Uh, which says that the most important decision a manager makes every single day is who he or she allows in the door to help them take care of their customer. Mm. And when I say customer, I mean both internal and external customers. Sure. So um, the, the thing of any organization, if you look at it and you look at any leader in, in management, going back to Herb Keller with Southwest Airlines, or you look at Disney, or you look at uh, any, look, look at um, look at Google. Uh, look at FedEx, look at any any major GE, um, and you talk to the key executives, and what are they talking about? They're talking about the, they're not talking about their product, they're talking about their people, right. because they're people that determine the product. So the decision you make, uh, who you let in the door, and and who you retain once you let them in the door, is really the key thing. And it's also one of the very few things that management has uh, real control over. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have control over market conditions, you don't have control over, your, in, in reality, in many cases, once you have a lease, you don't have control over a lot of it, but you do have control over the quality of people you have and what you do with the people you have on board. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's your point of having that control and being able to um, put the right people in the right spots. So speaking of that, we look at the idea of recruiting. And of course, that's an aspect of the hiring process in the beginning. What would you point to as being those essential points to be effective in that early process of recruiting individuals? Well, it, it actually, Tim, that's a great question. And there are two really important parts that you're looking at. And it, and it affects not only the recruiting part, it, selects the re- it affects the selection part, and it also affects the retention part, which is the biggest mistake that everybody, it seems the biggest mistake that everybody makes, but the biggest mistake that most people make in the world 
is what I'm going to call just going shopping without a shopping list. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you, when, when you go to the grocery store, uh, the first two things you take are money and coupons. But other than taking money and coupons, you really need to take a shopping list. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't take a shopping list, what do you do? You, you spend more time because you walk up and down the aisles trying to remember what you wanted to have. Uh, so you spend more time. You usually end up buying something you don't need, so that means you spend more money. You buy things you don't need. You forget something you needed to have, so you have to go back. <laughs> and most of us, literally, we may have a job description, but a job description is really in, isn't a shopping list. The job description says you can lift, you can bend, you can stoop, you can reach, you can do certain things, but that really is not the shopping list. The shopping list is what does this person look like? What is this person? What's going to make this? What does this person do that makes them successful? Mm-hmm. And for that, there's, I have a couple things. One is I have a formula called CAPS. C-A-T-S. And if I can paint a word picture for you for a minute, that, that's literally the pyramid. You've got a pyramid, and there's four levels to this pyramid. And the bottom level is capacity. And if somebody doesn't have the capacity, if they're not mentally smart enough to do the job or physically can't do the job, which may even mean getting to work every single day on time, right. it doesn't matter if they have the next three levels because you can't build a pyramid without the base. So you've got capacity as number one. So you have to identify the capacity. Above capacity, you have to identify attitude. Um, And attitude trumps everything else once you get above capacity. Right. Uh, There's a one-liner that says, we hire people for what they know, we fire them for who they are. Hmm, okay. And dependability is a capacity. Taking responsibility is an attitude. Taking responsibility is an attitude. Teamwork is an attitude. Customer service, uh, can be trained, but it takes a customer service attitude. So attitude becomes uh, the, the primary driver once you get above capacity. So you've got to identify the, the attitude you're looking for. And then once you, once you get above attitude, you've got to go to personality. And personality is that, that innate, are you an interest for a Dexter? Does the job fit what they really want to do? Mm-hmm. Now, we can be successful, and it's interesting to note in selection process, I'll give you one liner, Tim. That's kind of interesting. Uh, it's in, you know I said we fire people, we hire people for what they know, we fire them for who they are. What makes you successful? What makes anybody who is listening to this program successful? It isn't their personality. It's an attitude, and the attitude is you do what you need to do, whether you like doing it or not. Mm-hmm. We really become successful not because we do the things we like to do, but because we're willing to do the things we don't like to do when we need to do them. So, for example, you doing this interview and me being interviewed, I have to tell you, at least from my standpoint, this is fun. <laughs> well, this good. I'm glad. Part of, it's good to hear. This is the fun part of the job, okay? And I think probably to you, getting people on the phone and having these conversations is probably the fun part of the job. Of course. Okay. But to go do that, how much work does it take? How much scheduling? How much of research? How much of everything else that you really don't like to do, but you have to do them if, you're gonna, if you want to really do the interviews, right? That's a fair assessment, yeah. <laughs> so the key is, one of the keys in interviewing is let's not find out what people like to do, find out what like to do and how they got themselves to do it. But it's the picture on the box. We have attitude, we have personality, we have skill. So, and skill is the, is the top level of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And skill, and because their skill and capacity have the most exposed surface area, they're also easiest to turn. But what I'm trying to say is, you have to know what you're looking for to go find it, right. to recruit it. So the number one key is, you, and if you know what you're looking for when you recruit it, 
you know what you're looking for in the interviewing process, so you know how to, what you're trying to identify to fit the job. So those two fall together. Uh, so that's number one. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, painting that, that pyramid picture, I think, definitely helps people understand where you're coming from with those ideas as well. So one other piece on top of that to make it easy, let's assume I hired you, and it's a year down the road. So you're going to hire for a new position. I'm going to hire for somebody who does your job. I'm going to hire an accountant. I'm going to hire a truck driver. I'm going to hire a, a computer programmer. It doesn't matter the job. But let's assume we hire somebody, and it's a year down the road, and the, we're going to give them the Employee of the Year Award. What you really need to do is write that letter of recognition nominating for the Employee of the Year Award. which will tell. And in that letter, you have to tell them what they did and what, how they did it that made them worth the nomination. Mm-hmm. When you write that letter, you have a you have a real picture of what you're looking to hire. So number one, you know, make the shopping list before you go shopping. Number two, uh, just to, to, to give you the second biggest mistake, I think we all want to hire great employees. Well, I, I ask the question every workshop I do, how many people out there have a written list, literally written list, of 10 reasons why a great employee should come to work for the organization. Mm-hmm. And the answer is less than 5%. Right. Well, if you don't have a written list, if I don't have a written list of why you should come to work for Umetrics, where is that great employee going to get the written list? So look at your organization, look at your job, look at your department, and say, okay, why should this person, what, why should an A player come to work for us? What's our culture like? Mm-hmm. What makes an A player, you know? Our culture is we work long hours. I mean, we really work long hours. We average 60, 70-hour weeks. But the fact of the matter is we pay a lot of money. <laughs> okay? We pay an obscene amount of money. Okay? So the fact of the matter is if you're interested in a 40-hour work week, we're the wrong place for you to be. Sure. But if you want to make an obscene lot of money and you're willing to work really hard and put in long hours, we're a great place for you to be. Right. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so let's move forward, um, you know, through the the recruiting process and into the idea of of interviews. Um, just to broaden our scope here a little bit. When we had talked previously, you mentioned the idea of going beyond behavioral interviewing, and you hear that you know behavioral interviewing a lot in terms of um, you know advice and strategies. But what do you mean by going beyond behavioral interviewing? Okay, so what I mean about going beyond behavioral interviewing. Behavioral interviewing became the gold standard. Right. And because it's the gold standard, number one is most applicants, if they've done any homework at all, and by the way, that's a great question to ask, how did you prepare yourself for the interview? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not interested in, you read up on the company, I'm interested in what books and articles you've read on better interviewing. Ah, interesting. Okay, so I want to know how many canned answers I'm going to (laughs) get. And the fact of the matter is there is so much, if you go into Google or you go into, you know, and do your search on Yahoo and you put it interviewing, you're going to find thousands of articles on how to ace a behavioral interview. Sure. And so what we've got is we've got applicants in most cases who are better at interviewing than the people doing the interview. <laughs> and we can, and I can, we can spend this whole time just talking about big mistakes that people make in the interviewing process from the interviewer standpoint, not from the interviewee standpoint. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about both. But the fact is that we need to go beyond behavioral interviewing. We need to get beyond the standard interviewing questions today that says, and here's, here's a typical behavioral interviewing question. Here's the prop, one of the problems with it. So I'm going to say to you, Tim, 
tell me a time when you had to deal with a difficult interview on the phone on the, uh, with a with a particular person and how you made that work out well right yeah good behavioral interviewing question yep well first of all what's wrong with it well it's the first part of the time you've had to deal with an interviewing problem to make it work out well what we've all of a sudden done is we have set this person up for a we've told them exactly what we want an answer we didn't tell them we wanted one where they failed we told them we wanted one they were successful right sure so we've already told them exactly what we want an answer. Ah, okay. And when we, even when we say, tell me about a time you conducted an interview, uh, what we're doing that didn't work out well, we're also telling them what we're looking for. So we need questions that are going to be less transparent and, trust, and questions that will be revealing of the actual real person. Right. So give me an example. Number one question many of us ask, probably about, I hear probably in, in the interviews I sit in, probably 70% of the time, it's a question that most people ask just to make the applicant feel comfortable and just to give them some insight. They'll say, well, you know, Tim, would you tell me a little bit about your present job? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your last job. I'm sure you've been interviewed. I'm sure you've been answered to ask that question, correct? Oh, yeah. Yep. Every time I think. Okay. Every time you're interviewed. Well, everybody's got a canned answer and we don't get a lot of information out of it. People think they do. But why would we not? Why would we not reverse that question and say, and let's do it? I'm going to ask you real quickly, Tim. Tim, <laughs> would you tell the audience the very first thing you ever did to earn money? The very first thing I ever did to earn money was to sell candy bars as a child for baseball equipment. Are you serious? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you? Uh ten, I think I was when I did that. Okay. So did you want to get, were you, was this for the team to get equipment? You wanted to get equipment? No, Tell me about this it. is just for myself. Uh, I needed some cleats, needed a new bat to, to keep up with the, the rest of the kids. And uh, yeah, just formulated a plan with my parents, went out and sold some candy bars. What was the next thing you did? Yeah, no, no. I was going to say, I, I appreciate having this specific conversation. I just don't want to eat up all of our time without allowing you to, to go into more detail. So, uh, but I see where you're going with, with getting more, uh, you know, in depth and, and there is no canned response for anything that you're asking there. Well, A, there's no can response. Two, you're not what you're watching the movie from the beginning to the end, mm-hmm. not the end of the beginning. Two, three, you're saying, okay, here is Tim at 10 years old who figured out if he wanted cleats, his dad wasn't going to give him. He had good enough cleats. If he wanted better equipment, he had to go pay for it. He figured it out. Tim, how much different are you today than the 10 year old who figures out how to get what needs to be done done? Uh, very similar. <laughs> so let's watch the movie. So we can spend the whole time. Yeah. Right. But right. questions like that go behavioral interviewing, and yet we're getting the behaviors. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole set of, there's about five questions in total, but we'll leave that for another conversation sometime. And thank you for putting me on track. <laughs> no, and I, I do appreciate the, you know, again, those specifics. And as we talk in theory so much, it's hard for our listeners to get a gauge of what exactly our experts are talking about. So to be able to kind of put us in that situation, I do appreciate that. Another area we talked about prior to the show a couple of weeks ago, it might have been even longer at that point, but... You brought up that, of course, there are questions that an interviewer cannot ask, but that you believe that it is important to have the ability to ask those questions in a different way or find answers in a different way. Can you elaborate what you're talking about and maybe give us an example or two of, of why it's important or how you can go about doing that? Well, let's for example, if it's important need to know, if it's truly an important need to know the information, there should be a way of asking the question that will get it. Right. Okay. 
So what do we know? We know that there are questions you can't ask in relation to family status and the marital status and the sexual preference and the religious preference, you know, age. We know we can't ask the questions. And one of the things that, for example, I work tremendously with the hourly workforce, and one of the things that we're concerned with is can people show up for work every day on time? Right. Okay. So what's the question? So the question is we can't ask about sickness. We can't ask about family status. But we can ask, Tim, other than being personally sick, what is a reason you could not be at work every single day on time? Hmm. Okay. Okay. We can't ask people if they own a car. But we can say, do you have reliable way to get to work every single day on time? Right. We can figure out how to ask the question in relationship to a business sense or a purpose that you're really trying to get to. What is the reason you have to ask it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have to ask about religious accommodations because we work on Sundays. You know, okay. We're not Chick-fil-A. We work every Sunday. So mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, it's not about religious presence. We often we require our people to work on Sundays. Is that going to create a problem? Sure. Right. Right. From your experience, is that still a very I don't know dangerous line to toe because of you're looking at the legal aspects. If somebody could come back at you and say, you know, this even the way you asked, we know what you're trying to get at. I mean, how does that work in terms of the legal side versus, as you said, maybe it is a need to know for the business. It's a need to know as long as you're not. You're first of all, you're asking of everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you're asking, other than being personally sick of everybody, you know, dependability. Um, my, my mother-in-law is 94, 94 years old. Okay. So do we only ask young people about uh, being able to be work on time as we're concerned with child care, but there's a whole, whole generation out there that isn't involved in parent care, but they're not involved in parent care. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're asking it to everybody. Don't make sure, you, you know, are we asking to the men? Are we asking to the women? Are we asking the same question to everybody? Are we, are we looking at the way somebody is dressed or the way some at the age? And are we asking the question that way? That's sure. how you avoid that problem. Okay. You also brought up the idea in the past of um, an onboarding process. Can you describe what that is for our listeners? Well, let's just, let's just talk about that we all, we all have one time to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. And there's a honeymoon period out there. And sometimes the honeymoon period, some people talk about six months, and sometimes the honeymoon period lasts about two hours, <laughs> uh, depending on the job. But, but the key being is how do we get people engaged to start with? And one of the things I've written a book on is the thing called the five first. And with some really interesting learning, we look, and it's Uncommon Common Sense. I, I do a presentation called Uncommon Common Sense Ideas and How to Better Recruit, Select, and Retain Great People. And in this uncommon common sense, and I could take you to the research, but it save time. If every, every employee starts a new job, and I've become psychic, and I can actually go on the stage in Las Vegas now because I can read thoughts. <laughs> nice. And, but they're, they're only in one specific area. And that specific area is Tim starts a new job. You start a new job today. And at the end of the day, you're walking out to your car, and you take out your cell phone. And yeah, you called somebody, and maybe even before the end of the day. You called your husband, your wife, your spousal equivalent, a friend, your mother, your father, somebody talked to. They asked you a question, and I can tell you what the question is 99% of the time. The question is, how do you like your new job? Mm How would it go? Do you like your boss? Are you going back tomorrow? All within that vein. So this is the number one question that every single employee gets. Now, Now, so what do we want the answer to be? Well, we know what the answer we want to be is, Awesome, terrific, fabulous, best decision I ever made. Sure. 
Well, if that's the answer we want, how many of us make the first day the very best day any new employee ever had? Ah, good point. How many of us make the first hour the best hour they'll ever have? Mm -hmm. Well, what day do we start new people on? Corporate world, we start new people when? Monday morning. What time do we start them? Well, what's it like around what's it like around the station? Monday morning, first thing. Uh, usually most people are in at the latest by seven thirty here, seven thirty our time. Yeah, but they're hectic, they're busy, they've got things they gotta get done. It's normally the most busiest time of the day sure. of the week. So why do we start people at first thing Monday morning? Because payroll thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> let's start people and let's start people where managers can spend some time with that quality time with that person in the first hour. And there's a whole first hour scripts that we develop for companies in relationship to how to create that first impression, mm-hmm. how to make that first hour the best hour they ever had, you know, how to make people feel important and let them understand what their job is. So the number one key to reducing turnover and making people more productive is literally to make the beginning experience they have the best experience they'll ever have. I like that. I like that as being a, you know, you don't hear about that. To your point, it's kind of jump right into the business side of things. And, and uh, that, that first day often is a whirlwind for everybody. So I, I think that is. Or a, otherwise, uh, otherwise they're filling out paperwork. Right. Sure. Sure. Okay. Why would you take the most impressionable hour in the entire world and have somebody fill, fill out paperwork? Mm-hmm. No, that's okay. a good point. And then, and then the, the end of the first day, actually in the department, because some people go through orientation over someplace else, is we would never let a customer go home aggravated or frustrated. But if you've ever started a new job, and I know you've probably had more than one, there's some at the end of the first day you felt, felt totally overwhelmed. You know? We're totally overwhelmed with what's going on, what's happening. Okay. We wouldn't let our incl- a customer leave, so why don't we spend the last 15 minutes finding out how the day went? Right. Managers don't even have to take responsibility for it. All I have to say is, Tim, look, before you leave today, if I don't get to you, you come find me because I just want to find out how the day went. Makes your life easier. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense when you break it down like that, as opposed to probably what a majority of organizations do. So, hopefully, those listening can take some of your advice here today and uh, and utilize it as well. And speaking of that, we are getting low on time, so I wanted to give you the the floor here, you know, final thirty seconds or so. For the hiring professionals that are out there, you know, whoever is in charge of, of bringing in these individuals, what would your final thoughts or pieces of advice be for them to, again, help bring in the best people and also that idea of retention? What would you give as a final takeaway? Number one final takeaway is raise the bar. Don't settle for mediocrity. The worst employee you hire is not the bad employee. The worst employee you hire is the okay employee. And why is okay bad is because we settle for okay performance and we can't grow an organization being okay. And if people want to learn more, they can go to humetrics.com and I blog three times a week on this stuff. All right. Great. Hope I've given your, 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 your audience some things they can use. Yeah. And I, I love that. Uh, I love your, your perspective there at the end, the idea that, uh, the worst employees aren't the, the bad ones. They're the, the mediocre ones. I, I think that, uh, that'll that strike home with a lot of people as we wrap up here. And, and that will finish up this installment of Management Decisions. Uh, our guest, again, has been Mel Kleiman, founder and president of Humetrics. Again, you can find some more details, some of the things he writes about as well, over at humetrics.com. Mel, thanks again for sharing your experience perspective with us. We do appreciate it today. Thank you, Tim. Of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners, as well. So go ahead and send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you do have any comments or suggestions for any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. 
We'll talk to you later.